If you will, please turn your Bibles to Colossians 1. You know, Advent means the coming. The first coming of the Christ through the incarnation. But we long for his second coming. The Redeemer of the earth will come again. Thank you so much for reminding us of that this morning, music team. As you're turning to Colossians 1, I want to highlight a few free resources that are out here in the narthex that you can pick up for you or your home. Uh, there's a great little Advent uh, booklet for our families and children called Little Hearts, Prepare Him Room. Uh, we are going to continue in uh, Colossians after Christmas and then continue on into Philemon. And so uh, we've got these scripture journals out there that are just a great way to track along with the sermons and in the scriptures. And so pick up one of those. And then this time of year, we're thinking about generosity. And of course, we're really going to be talking a lot about generosity in the new year as we, as we think about building a building. And so there's a wonderful generosity devotional out there uh, in the narthex as well. Uh, pick those up. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, as we're continuing looking at this wonderful passage on the preeminence of Christ. Here again, one more area that Paul is showing us how Christ is preeminent in all things and that he's the firstborn from the dead. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Pray with me. Father God, help us this morning to behold the preeminence of Christ in all things. Help us to see the beauty of your great salvation in the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and in the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see the good news does not end with Christmas. It only begins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Gospel Coalition featured an article this past month that I thought was simply bril brilliant. It was called, A Lost Screwtape Le Letter Dated December. A Lost Screwtape Letter Dated December. It was written by Pastor Justin Wainscott, but no doubt he was inspired by C.S. Lewis's famous work on the Screwtape Letters. If you're not familiar with the screw tape letters, it is not too late to put that on your Amazon Prime wish list and get it here in time for Christmas. It's a wonderful fictional classic work of fiction where Lewis attempts to try to get into the mind of what the devil, what the demons are like as they try to tempt and try to steer God's people away from the Lord. And they're called the screw tape letters because in these letters, the older devil, screw tape, is trying to disciple his younger nephew, Wormwood, on how to lead Christians astray. Over the years, uh, there have been pastors and scholars and authors who have tried to take a, a play out of Lewis's uh, work here and, and write their own letter, and this is one such attempt by Pastor Wainscott. In one such attempt here, this one called The Lost Letter in Dated December, Wayne Scott does a nice job of trying to show how our enemy would like nothing more for us than for us to take our minds off the incarnation and what follows the incarnation at Christmas time. If I could just read you a portion from this lost letter. 
Even so, my dear Wormwood, you are not without one last method of attack. If all else fails, try keeping the enemy's story, what we call the bad news, limited to the invasion, what the devil calls the incarnation. It's bad enough that your patient thinks on this at all, but realize it could be worse. So if you foolishly allow him to focus his attention on the invasion, then at least be sure to let the story go no further in his mind. All those bipeds the enemy has created seem to love babies, so make him think the bad news is nothing more than a story about a baby. Something cute and sweet, but not serious and significant. Find a way to keep the story in Bethlehem. You could even keep him, let him keep his manger scenes with all the animals present. Just let it go no further. Make sure he keeps thinking of the enemy only as a child. Don't let him think about the enemy as a man or what he did to some of our fiendish friends or how he humiliated all of hell when he rose again. You can seed the manger in your patient's thinking so long as you divorce it from the cross and the empty tomb. But once he begins to recognize there's more to the story of the bad news than just the invasion, especially if he thinks about the great defeat, then he will turn in gratitude to the enemy. And I sincerely hope for your sake, especially, this does not happen. Your affectionate Uncle Screwtape. I hope you'll go read it. I linked it in the newsletter this week. But this morning I want you to see that our enemy would love nothing more than for us to keep the story of the gospel in Bethlehem. He would like it to go no further in our minds and in our hearts. But we know better, do we not? The story does not end in Bethlehem. It only begins there. And the point I would like to make in all of this is that although the incarnation about the wonder and the beauty and the love of God, that he would, that he would clothe himself in humanity, that he would become one of us. We must remember in the incarnation that Easter is always in the background of the story of the incarnation. Seems weird to talk about Easter at Christmas, doesn't it? But we're going to this morning. It was so much in the background that Joseph was told by the angel that was read this morning in Matthew's gospel that he was to give his baby boy the name Jesus. And he was to give his baby boy this name is because his name means that he is the Savior and that he would save his people from their sins. And how would he do this? He would save them by sacrifice. Again, it seems odd to talk about Easter and the resurrection at Christmas time. But as the late Jerry Bridges once said, to think only about the birth of Jesus fails to do justice to the incarnation. To think only about Jesus' birth fails to do justice to the full story of the incarnation. In other words, we cannot talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ without talking about His resurrection. Bible scholars often point out that there are four major events when we talk about the human life of Christ. There, of course, was His incarnation, His birth. There is the crucifixion, His death. There is the resurrection, him rising again from the grave. And then there was the ascension, him being taken up into glory. All of these major events, they tie together. 
They all give us the full picture of the gospel story. They cannot be divorced from one another. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension are very much in view as we go to Bethlehem and we behold the preeminence of Christ in the incarnation. So this morning, as we again come together and wander at wonder at the preeminence of Christ in the incarnation, I want us to especially see that the resurrection is very much in view as we think about God becoming man. In, the, in describing the preeminence of Christ in this wonderful passage here in Colossians, Paul tells us that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. That is the phrase we'll be focusing on this morning, that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. And there are several implications that we must study about this truth, that Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. The first is, Christ is preeminent in the resurrection because he is the firstborn. Christ is preeminent in the resurrection because he is the firstborn. The Greek word here for firstborn is protokos. It means, is a word that refers to birth order. And so a child, particularly a son that was the firstborn in his family, he would be the one to inherit his father's estate and his father's title. Twice in this passage here in Colossians, Jesus is referred to as the firstborn. If you look up there in verse 15, he's called the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn in all creation means he is the one to inherit God the Father's all that is God the Father's. Jesus is the ruler. He is the king. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he has been given all of this power by God the Father. But here in verse 18, he's called the firstborn from the dead. This is an obvious reference to his resurrection. That is why we are talking about the resurrection in light of the incarnation this morning. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. When we think of someone being the first, we think of them being the first person to accomplish something, right? But that is not exactly what Paul is insinuating here in Colossians. Jesus was not the first person to rise from the dead. You can think of other examples given to us in Scripture. Lazarus, his friend Lazarus, that he rose from the dead. The religious leader's daughter that rose from the dead. So Jesus was not the first person to ever rise from the dead. However, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in the sense that he is the first one to be raised to glory. He was the risen and glorified Savior. All other folks who rose from the dead, they went on to die again. They went to the grave. But Jesus was raised to glory Never to die again. He is the firstborn from the dead. The idea here is not that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead chronologically, but he is the first person and that he is the pioneer. He was risen unto glory. There are other places in the scripture that speak of Jesus being the firstborn from the dead in a slightly different way. We uh, see in Acts chapter 26 where Paul says that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. We read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
Again, a reference to his resurrection. Both of these passages teach us that Jesus, being the firstborn or the first fruits, demonstrate for us that he is the pattern of what God is going to do, what he is going to bring about through the power of the resurrection that Jesus will affect in all of those who believe. We will all rise again unto glory. The second thing from this passage that I want us to see that Christ is preeminent in the resurrection is because, in fact, he did rise from the dead. He did rise from the dead. He is the firstborn from among the dead. You know, for thousands of years, there have been countless heresies associated with the incarnation. There have been those in the church and outside of the church who have tried to dismiss this miracle, this amazing fact that God became man. And I don't want to simply impress you with church history here, but it is important that we understand what some of these heresies are and how Christmas undoes all of these heresies. There's the the heresy of Arianism, which says that Jesus is somehow a, a lesser God who was created. That God kind of cloned himself and made a lesser God, and that's who Jesus was, and that was debunked. There is the heresy of docetism, which taught that Jesus only appeared to be a man, that he was somehow an illusion of of a God, but he wasn't fully man. There was the heresy of Apollinarianism, which taught that Jesus was not human at all. He had no human part to him whatsoever. But none of these heresies are true because they do not affirm the biblical truth that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Mary, you are with child. You are pregnant because the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will give birth to an actual living, breathing child who is Christ the Lord. That is what the angel told Mary. These heresies, they do not assert the truth that Jesus was born a man and that he died a man. You see, in order for God to rescue us in his great plan of salvation, Jesus had to be a man. He had to be born. For as sin entered the world through the one man, Adam, so salvation must come through a man, the last Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ. And for Jesus to die as a man, he had to really die. He had to be killed. Not kind of sort of die. Not kind of sort of be a man and die. But he actually had to be killed and buried. There is a reason that Jesus remained in the grave for as long as he did and rose on the third day. And I think it was to show us that he was actually dead. He was in the grave. He was buried. And because of the incarnation, because Jesus was born, because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus was able to die as the perfect substitute. He was perfectly qualified to meet our every need dying in our place but he didn't stay there did he and don't worry that's right no 
And we're not going to do He is risen, He is risen indeed. Because it is Christmas. Merry Christmas. But He did rise. Amen. That's the theological point that we must understand and believe in all this is that Jesus, He, he died for you and for me and He rose again. He did not remain in the grave because He is the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first to rise in this glorious resurrection. He was raised to glory. A wonderful work for you to add to your Christmas list. I'm going to keep building your your Christmas list this morning with books. Uh, The early church father, Athanasius of Alexander, he said this in his work on the incarnation. For the word, that is Jesus, the word made flesh, Realizing that in no other way would the corruption of human beings be undone except simply by dying, yet being immortal in the Son of the Father of the Word was not able to die. For this reason, he takes on himself a body capable of death in order that in it, participating in the Word who is above all, might be sufficient for death on behalf of all. And through the indwelling word would remain incorruptible. And so corruption might henceforth cease from all by the grace of the resurrection. Think about that. God is unable to die. And so how would he do it? He would take on flesh. He would take on a body capable of death to show his love for you and for me. The last thing I want us to see here in this truth here is that Christ is preeminent in the resurrection because what is true of him is true of us. What is true of Jesus is true of us. As Christ was born, so we must be born again. We must be born of him. As Christ died, so we too must die. We must die to ourselves, die to our sinful nature. As Christ was raised... So we too must be raised to newness of life and given a new nature. And we too will be raised from the dead and our bodies one day will be glorified and we will be with Jesus forever and ever. He is the firstborn from the dead and we will follow him because he is the pioneer. He has gone before us. And that's why we must see that our union with Jesus Christ means everything. When we say that we are in Christ, that we are united to Christ, it means that we are united into everything that is good. It means that God the Father will carry on to completion the good work that he has begun in you and in me because Christ Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. All of this is possible, you see, because of the incarnation. If Jesus had not been born and raised from the dead, then there would be no hope for us. There would be no hope. But there is great hope. There is great hope because Christ the Savior was born. There is hope because what is true of Jesus is true of us. Jesus is the firstborn. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. What is true of Him is true of us. Just as Jesus was the first to be resurrected and glorified, so God will do that in us who believe. What this means is that Jesus, he was the inaugurator of the new creation. He's 
He's the archetype. He is the, the model. He is the, the image that God intends to conform us to in his grand plan of salvation. And so if you are in Christ, you can have great hope because what God had begun in the incarnation, what he did in the resurrection, he will accomplish in us because Jesus has already gone before us. He's the model. He's the author. He is our big brother. He is our friend. He is the one whom God chose to raise from the dead so that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory. The reason that God did this, the reason why we talk about the preeminence of Christ in the incarnation and the resurrection is so that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. Preeminent. That's that word that we've been focusing on for months. We've already said to say that Jesus is preeminent, it means that he's the most important thing. He's the most important person. He's the reason for the season. <laughs> Have you heard that before? In your life, in the whole cosmos, Jesus is preeminent. And so what does that look like in your daily life? What should it mean for you that Jesus might be preeminent in all things? What should it mean for you to live as though Christ is preeminent in your daily lives? The way you think, the way you act, the way you move. Let me ask you this morning, is Jesus the most important thing to you? Is he the most important thing for how you use your time? Yeah. Amen, again. How you use your money. How you use your gifts. How visible is Christ in the way that you relate to others? At your home. At your place of work. At the, where you play and enjoy recreation. You know, the name Christian was given by the Romans to make fun of Christians. <laughs> it means little Christ. Look at those little Christs. And you know what the followers of Christ did. Yeah, that's us, little Christ. That's us, we're Christians. Is that you? Are you a Christ follower? Is he the most important thing? Is he visible? You know, Christ must be preeminent in your life more than just Sunday morning. He must be preeminent in your life more than just at Christmas and Easter. He must be preeminent in your text messages. He must be preeminent in your internet history. He must be preeminent in the way you treat others in public. He must be preeminent in what you post online and how you spend your money and how you spend your time that in everything Christ might be preeminent. Is is Christ preeminent in your life? It's a searching question. Let me invite you, let me ask you to search your heart right now and answer honestly, is Christ the most important thing in your life? If Jesus is not a priority in your life right now, then go to him. Go to him. Confess your sin. Confess your sin of self-idolatry. Say, Jesus, I've, I am the preeminent one. 
I'm the most important thing. It's all about me, me, me. We need to confess that. Or maybe you need to confess your sin of apathy. Maybe you just simply need to say, Jesus, I just don't care. But seek him. Start to make small changes in your life to make him the most important thing in your life and in your family. Let me just say this morning, I think in our culture, in our culture, when the pastor says, seek to make Jesus the most important thing in your life, go to him and confess, we automatically think, well, I need to go do that myself. I'm going to go home today, I'm going to go climb up a mountain, I'm going to spend four hours by myself, and I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make Jesus the most important thing in my life. Maybe many of you thought that this morning, but that is not how it works. I think that one of the chief ways that we can begin to make small changes in our lives, so we are seeking Christ, we are making Him the most important, is together. It's together. In community. That is what, that's what God has given us the local church. So that we can grow together. So that we might say to others, I'm struggling. So that we might come together and, and confess our sins and, and call one another to worship so that we could use these means of grace that God has given us to make him preeminent. We need each other. We need all the things that God has afforded to us to help us to grow and to make him preeminent. And so as we come together this morning to do that, as we come to celebrate the incarnation, as we come to say to each other, Christ was born, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. As we sing joy to the world, let us encourage and spur one another on to good deeds. Let us celebrate and remember that Christ our Savior was born, and he was born to die. He is the Savior because he has come to save us from our sins. Jesus was born so that he could die for you, for you, for me. And he was raised again for all of us. Hallelujah. Joy to the world. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise you and thank you that the the good news of the incarnation, the good news at Christmas that Christ was born, that it doesn't end there, that it keeps going and going and going and going, and that he rose from the dead, and that he will come again, and that he will bring us all into glory with him again one day. Help us to see the beauty and the wonder and the, and the love and the grace and the mercy that all started because Christ was born for us. But help us to remember, Lord, as we think of a baby lying in a manger, as we think of God taking on flesh, as we think of that manger scene, that right there with it was a cross. Right there at his birth was a cross, because he was a Savior who would die for us. That is worthy of all of our praise. Teach us that great truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.